if you would, uh, if you've got a copy of your Bibles, turn over to the Gospel of Mark. We'll be looking at a, a brief uh, section here in Mark's Gospel in chapter 6. If you don't have uh, your scriptures with you, I believe, yeah, the, uh, the passage is printed here in the bulletin. I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 45 through 52. So please hear the word of the Lord. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And when he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you this morning in humble amazement at the grace you've shown us in Christ our Savior. We are thankful that you have saved us solely by his works and what he has done and not by anything that we do. Lord, we pray this morning that as we look at this passage from your word, you would confront us where we need to be confronted, that in your grace you would soften our hard hearts and show us our hard-heartedness so that we may see Jesus in our need for him. Thank you for what you've done and what you continue to do through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would attend now the preaching of your holy word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Three weeks ago, a tornado 1.3 miles wide ripped through the town of Moore, Oklahoma, in the southern part of Oklahoma City. According to the National Weather Service, it was estimated that the peak wind ranged from 200 to 210 miles per hour, which would make it an EF5 the most powerful category of a tornado possible. The storm affected some 10,000 people, killing 24 and destroying around 2,400 homes. It's estimated that insurance claims will likely exceed a billion dollars as a result of this one storm. Well, if that wasn't enough, you probably know that merely a week later, another tornado touched down near Oklahoma City that was even bigger than the first. It was revealed just this last week that this too was also an EF5 tornado with winds reaching 295 miles per hour and 2.6 miles wide, which is the widest tornado ever recorded. We've all seen and we continue to hear the reports of the massive devastation that was left by these two storms that came one right after the other. And one of the questions that's probably gone through all of our minds is why? Why did this happen? 
Why did these storms that cause so much damage come so close together and harm so many people? And maybe even some of us have been asking ourselves and asking God, how could He allow storms like this to happen? Well, in our passage for this morning, we're reminded that this isn't the first time that storms like these, striking very close together even, have come upon people. Now, this passage reminds us that we see here that Jesus' own disciples also experienced a second terrifying storm not long after experiencing their first. And what we find here, what we learn here through Mark's testimony, is that Jesus was trying to teach them, and he's trying to teach us today, something crucial to enduring not just the kind of storms that are produced by the weather, but also the emotional and the physical and especially the spiritual storms that we all face in life. And we see this in three ways. We see it first of all in the way Jesus controls the struggles of our lives. We see it second in the way Jesus comes into the storms that we face in life. And we see it third in the way Jesus brings calm to us in the midst of the storms. So let's begin by looking at first how Jesus controls the struggles of our lives. Verse 45 says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and, before, and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he stayed behind and dismissed the crowd. Now Jesus has just finished speaking to a crowd of about 5,000 men. It was actually 5,000 men and then more. When in a startling, miraculous act, he took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed them all through his disciples. Afterwards, he tells the disciples to go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismisses the crowd and then goes up on the mountain to pray by himself. But when evening came, we're told that he saw the disciples as he looked out on the sea, making headway painfully because the wind was against them. Now, why would Jesus, whom the Bible calls the Good Shepherd, allow anyone, but especially those he cares for, his sheep, to suffer through so much struggling? I mean, it was Jesus' idea for the disciples to be out there on the sea, wasn't it? Sure it was. And you see, besides that, isn't he the one who just miraculously fed 5,000 people? Couldn't he have stopped the torrential wind that was coming down on them? Well, of course he could have. He had done it before, in fact. See, if you go back earlier in Mark's gospel, all the way back to chapter 4, what you find is that not long before this, the disciples had been in an eerily similar situation. They were out at sea when a terrible storm came upon them, and they were afraid they were going to lose their lives. Now, don't think that the disciples were exaggerating about the intensity of these storms. No, some of them were experienced fishermen, remember, who had faced storms all their life. But those storms were not like this, because these storms were the kind that they were sure were going to do them in. But in the storm they faced back in chapter 4, Jesus was actually in the boat with them. He was actually in the boat asleep. 
So they woke him up saying, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're about to die? And what did Jesus do? The text tells us that he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And then we're told that the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus then turned and he looked at his disciples and he said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41 tells us that the disciples were filled with fear, with great fear. And they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So we see Jesus stopping the first storm with but a word. But why doesn't he do that in the second storm? It's because the disciples still don't know the answer to their question. Who is this? You know, often it's only when trouble comes, whenever we face struggles and the storms of life, that we begin contemplating the ultimate questions like, is God real? Who is he? Who is God? And who am I for that matter? And what am I doing here? See, most of the time we're so consumed with the busyness of day-to-day life, we think that that's all there is. We live like everything circles in the world around us and what we've got going on, so we don't spend a lot of time asking the big questions and thinking about things that are ultimate and eternal. Because let's face it, who's got time for that, right? Nobody does. But you see, whenever difficult things come into our lives and we find ourselves struggling to understand, struggling against the waves of despair, those are the times we begin thinking about what really matters in life. And we start asking those kinds of questions. The disciples thought they knew all about Jesus. They thought they knew who Jesus was and what their ministry and what their lives were all about. It was about healing people and feeding the multitudes and all the great stuff that they could do now because they were on Team Jesus. But it was only by going through the tremendous storm that they began struggling and asking with the ultimate question, asking the ultimate question, who is this? And so it's the second storm that shows us that the disciples are still struggling against the wind and the waves, certainly. But even more so, they're still struggling with this question, who is this? Now what may come as a shock to many of us is that Jesus not only knows what's going on with the disciples right now, but he is allowing them to sit there in the middle of the ocean with the wind and the waves pounding on their boat, struggling. He is allowing them to struggle. Mark says that he saw them from the mountain, but that he didn't go to them until the wee hours of the morning. Why? Why the delay? It's because they need to learn one of the most valuable, yet also one of the most difficult and many times painful lessons of all. And that is that God is ultimately in control of our lives, and we are not. It means that he and not we, actually knows what is best for us and for the world. But because he is all-knowing and all-powerful, that means he must also control even the struggles in our lives. 
Now, some of you may hear that this morning. You may be saying to yourself, now, wait a minute. How in the world is that possible? You know, I've heard all my life that God is loving, but that doesn't sound very nice. How can a good and gracious God allow people, people that He loves no less, to struggle and to suffer so much in life? Well, first of all, we need to understand that the struggles and the suffering are not part, they were not part of God's original plan when He created the world. No, those are things that the Bible tells us came into the world as a result of man's sin, and we're going to talk more about that later. But you see, second, what this shows us in regards to how God can allow people to struggle now in this life, well, I think it stands to reason that if God is all-powerful and if He has all wisdom and is all-knowing, which He must be, otherwise He wouldn't be God, then on the one hand, He has to be a God who is big enough to have reasons to allow struggle and to allow suffering to occur in our lives without us being able to fully comprehend it. But on the other hand, on the other hand, He also has to be a God who is big enough to be able to bring a greater good out of our struggles. And we can know that this is indeed the case, that God is not distant, and He's not aloof. He is not, not knowing concerning our struggles in life. Because the Bible tells us that in Jesus Christ, God Himself was willing to come into the world and to struggle and to suffer for us. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us this. It says that it was fitting that God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that is Jesus, perfect through suffering. You see, the Bible tells us in a number of places that Jesus, our Savior, suffered much in this life, and especially at the end of His life, and He did it all for our sake. And just so you know that I'm not some talking head up here this morning who wants to tell you what to believe and who is somehow detached and remote from all this myself, I want to tell you a little bit about how I've been experiencing God's grace like this recently. Some of you may know that back in April, I lost my uncle and my grandfather just three weeks apart from one another. And that was very, very hard, not only for me personally, but also for my whole family. My family asked me to preach both of their funerals, and I did. And I can tell you that it's one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to do in my whole life. But I want you to know that throughout it all, I didn't have just this gung-ho faith that everything was okay. No, there were many times that I kept telling God, Lord, I don't understand. Why did this have to happen? And why did these things have to happen so close together? And while the Lord never really gave me an answer, and while I still don't completely understand, what I can tell you is that through all of this, I've been learning a lot about the Lord and the grace He gives and how His power is made perfect through weakness. And the reason I say to this, reason I say all this to you this morning is because I know that some of you have also lost loved ones recently. And others of you have been experiencing certain storms in life. Maybe one right after the other. 
like this. What I want you to know this morning, what I want you to understand is that God hasn't allowed these things to come to pass in your life because He doesn't love us. Now you see, the truth is quite contrary. God has, and He continues to control the struggles in our lives because without them, we would all continue on in our lives doing our own thing, thinking that we're in control, thinking that we're the lords and the masters of our own lives, and that we know best, giving little regard to the Lord Himself and to the things that are of Him. But you see, the Lord loves us far too much He loves us far too much to let that happen and to let us continue on like that. And what this passage shows us first is that Jesus not only controls the struggles of our lives so that we can know God and the true nature of things in this world, but second, that in His love, He is willing to come into the midst of the storm for us. Notice verse 48. Mark says about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to the disciples walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, we're told, but when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, and he said, Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And when he got into the boat with him, We're told that the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When Mark says in this passage that the disciples were terrified, that is a strong word that carries a whole lot of weight, and it seems very reasonable given the circumstances. But if you look at what's actually being said in this text, what Mark is actually telling us is the real danger that the disciples were in was not physical. It wasn't, is this a ghost coming toward us? And it wasn't the storm. No, the real danger that the disciples were in was spiritual. Verse 52 says that they had hard hearts because they didn't understand about the loaves. Now that is a stinging indictment against Jesus' disciples because that's the same word that Jesus uses before this when he was calling the sinners and the hypocrites to repent. You see, when the Bible talks about someone being hard-hearted, it's talking about those who see what they want to see about Jesus, who think whatever they want to think about God, who are stubborn and who are his enemies. And what Mark is doing here is he's pointing us back to the Old Testament, back to the book of Exodus, way back there, to an example of someone who is famously described as being hard-hearted. And who was it? It was Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the quintessential oppressor of God's people, whom Moses describes as hard-hearted. And Jesus is saying to the disciples here, you think because you're on the inner circle. You think that because you're going around with me from town to town doing all these good things in my name that you know who I am. But what I want you to know is that you're no different than Pharaoh. Now think for a moment what this might look like here and now. This means that we could be going to church It means we could be going to church and reading the Bible, 
listening to the sermon, or even preaching the sermon, praying all the time. And we could be just as far away from God as Pharaoh because of our hard-heartedness. You see, that's a much greater danger than any storm we could ever face in life. And you see, the implication then is that maybe the best thing that could happen to us is that God could send a storm into our lives. Why? Because it's in the storms and struggles that we find out what we're really made of and what we really believe and what we really hold dear. And you see, while we might say, well, I know that God is ultimately in control of my life, and while I know that He really knows best for me and that, he has, uh, that He's the most important thing to me, the only way we can ever really find out whether or not that's really true for us is to have all those things that we tend to hold dear threatened. You see, we may say that money and our reputation and our jobs and our looks, all these things aren't really that important to us. And you see, if we're really spiritual, we might even go as far to say that our families are not important to us, are not as important to us as God is. But what happens when a storm comes in our lives and we're struggling because there's a threat that we may lose our money or we may lose our jobs or someone we love? You see, when the Bible talks about us being hard-hearted, it means that there are things in our lives that are more important to us than God. It means that there are things that we look to other than God for happiness and for comfort and for peace and security. And often, we don't even know what those things are until a storm comes. And really, if you think about it, that's why we're afraid of storms in life, aren't we? Isn't that why we're afraid? You see, it's not so much the rain or the thunder that we're afraid of. No, it's the wind and the lightning, and more specifically, it's the damage that they can cause that terrifies us. Why is that the case? Well, it's because we're all afraid of losing what we have. You know, when lightning struck our house and it caught fire two years ago, one of my biggest fears was that we were going to lose everything. I remember being afraid often that we might lose everything that we had worked so hard for. You know, never mind that all that we have and all that we've, we've done and are has been given to us by God. But you see, that's why so many of us are afraid of the storms we encounter in life. Storms like recessions and storms like losing our jobs and whether or not our kids behave or whether or not they get good grades, but also even things like getting gray hair and having wrinkles. You see, the struggles we have with all of these things and all the other trials that we face in our lives, they expose deep down what we believe and that is that ultimately we're in control of our own lives. And all we're really in need of is just a little bit of help because we can handle things on our own. Can't we? No, we can't. No, we can't. Absolutely not. You see, that is a lie. That is a lie. That is self-deception and that is hard-heartedness. None of us, nobody here, we cannot control the weather we can't control how long we're going to live and whether or not we're even going to have a job next year. And of course, none of us can really control how our kids are going to turn out in life. And you see, the Bible tells us that it's not so much ignorance 
But it is rebellion that makes us think that we're in control, living as if God doesn't even exist. But you see, it's only in the storms that we face, it's only in the storms that we're ever going to be able to see that we are not in control and that we are in desperate need for someone not only to come to us to shine the light of truth into our hearts and into our lives, to show us what we really ought to be afraid of, but also to save us. And this passage shows us that this is what Jesus Christ has come into the world to do. Jesus Christ comes to the disciples in the darkness and in the storm to show them what they really need to be afraid of. And it's not the storm. It's not, is this a ghost? The question they've been asking is, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Beloved, who can he be but the one who made the wind and the sea? And here he comes. Jesus comes walking to them on top of the waves to show them, one, that he has power over it. But two, that being separated from him is the thing that they need to fear most. Jesus tells them in another passage in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8, he says to the disciples, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying to the disciples, and he's saying to us, you need to be more afraid of losing me through hard-heartedness and unbelief than losing anything else in your life. You see, we all struggle with the fear of losing what we have because a hard heart stubbornly, willfully, pridefully and deceptively holds on to the notion that we can find ultimate peace, happiness, and security in anything other than God. And therefore, many of us then live lives of quiet desperation, thinking that a storm might come sometime and wipe out what we hold dear. But Jesus Christ is telling us here that the only thing that will ever calm your fears and give you ultimate peace is me. That's what he wants us to see here. And you see, that's the third thing that this passage shows us. That it's Jesus himself who brings calm in the midst of the storms. When Jesus came to the disciples walking on the water, he called out to them, and they're terrified because they can't see who he is because of their hard-heartedness. You see, they still don't understand that he had not come into the world. He had not come into their lives and called them to himself so that he could give them everything he, they ever wanted in life. Jesus had not come to give them or to give us our best life now. No, what Jesus has come to give them, through a series of storms no less, was the very thing that their souls were starving for. It was a Savior it was God himself. That's what the feeding of the 5,000 represented. And we can know that because when Jesus called out to them, what he said to them is, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Once again, here we are being pointed back to the book of Exodus and something that God said to his servant Moses. Do you remember the story of the burning bush? 
Do you remember how when Moses was being called by God to lead his people out of Egypt in the Exodus, God, go, or God comes to Moses through a burning bush and he's speaking to him. And he said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And how did Moses respond to that? Moses said, well, who should I say has sent me? What is your name? And God says, I am that I am. He says, I am that I am. He says, you go and you tell Pharaoh that I am has sent you. And you see, that is the same thing Jesus is saying right here in this passage. When he says, take heart, it is I. He's saying, take heart, it is I. It is I am who is in the boat, who's about to get in the boat with you. And what happens when Jesus does get into the boat with them? There is calm. There's calm. The waters are calmed around the disciples. Now we hear that and we say, how in the world is this possible? How can Jesus himself control the struggles and the storms, but then come to us in the midst of the storm to show us that there's a much bigger storm that we need to fear? And then through it all, bring an incredible calm into our lives. Well, there's one more thing that we need to see here that once again harkens back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. You'll notice in verse 48 that Mark inserts this little comment that when Jesus was walking on the water, he meant to pass by the disciples. What is that? What does that mean? Well, in Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33 tells us that after Moses led the people out of Egypt, a whole number of storms came into the life of the people of Israel and into Moses' life. Things got very difficult and the people were complaining. And Moses went to the Lord and he said, Lord, I can't go any further unless I know that your presence is with me. Moses says, Lord, let me see your face. He says, let me experience the fullness of your security and your presence so that I can do what you've called me to do. And then in verses 20 through 22, God says, Moses, you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. But the Lord said to Moses, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand until I pass by. Now what in the world does that mean? What is God saying to Moses in this passage? Here's what it means, and here's what he's saying. Because we've all believed the lie, that we're in control of our lives, and that we can handle things on our own, we cannot stand in the presence of God. We cannot stand before His face. You see, it's because of this lie that was first uttered through the serpent's lips in the Garden of Eden that sin and struggle and storms have all come into this world. Adam, the first man, committed the ultimate crime against God, what we call sin, by choosing to believe Satan's lie, that he could become like God, becoming his own Lord and his own master. And because we're his children, because we are all Adam's children, we have all inherited his sinful nature. 
But because God is perfectly righteous, and because He is just in everything that He does, He cannot and He will not just let sin go. You see, it's because of sin that we all come into this world as God's enemy. It's because of sin that Romans 6.23 says that the cost of sin is physical death, yes, but also spiritual death. Meaning that we're all God's enemy deserving only His wrath and His eternal condemnation because of our treason against Him. And you see, what makes matters worse, as if that wasn't bad enough already, is that there is nothing we can do good in God's sight so that He might forgive us and accept us as we are. Now that's bad news. And if we stop right there, then there's no hope for anybody. But praise God that in His grace, there is good news. Because in His love for us, God the Father has sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be our substitute who lived the life that we should have lived, a life without sin, and who went to the cross and died the death that we deserve in our place. You see, that's why Jesus' death and why the shedding of blood is so important. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But Jesus' blood was shed to cover our sins so that we wouldn't be consumed by God's wrath and His glory. And you see, the rock that God put Moses in points us to Jesus, who is our rock, who makes it safe for those who have faith in Jesus for God to pass by them. And you see, when Mark tells us that Jesus meant to pass by the disciples in the storm, what he's actually saying is that if the disciples and if we trust that it's Jesus who has come to deliver us from the ultimate storm, the storm of God's wrath and the punishment of death and spiritual damnation, then we can really weather any storm by knowing that Jesus is our I am. And you see, it's in knowing Him personally as the I am who's made everything, including you, and who sustains everything and who brings forth everything in our lives and in this world for His glory and for our good, that we can have peace no matter how ferocious the storms are that rage around us. And see, if you're here this morning and if you're afraid, if you're here afraid of anything, afraid of losing your money or your house or your job or even your own life, the only thing that will ever bring you calm and will release you from your fears is knowing that Jesus is the I Am. You see, what the Gospel tells us is that on the cross, Jesus Christ was drowned by the storm of God's wrath that we deserve so that on the third day, God could raise Him from the dead to show us that we can be forgiven of our sins now in Him and that when He comes again in glory, we can be raised to life eternal. I have to ask you this morning, is this your hope? Is this the thing that you're clinging to in your life? Is this what you are taking heart in every day? If it's not, I ask you today, will you take heart in Jesus, the great I Am? Will you rest in Him and in His works for you that He's done through His death and resurrection? 
Make that your ultimate hope and your ultimate trust in life. Make that the very thing that you're living for. You see, it doesn't matter who you are in this life, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're young or old, whether you're Christian or non-Christian. What we all have in common is that storms are going to come into our lives. and They're going to tear things up. But you see, those storms may come. Those storms may threaten us. And though they may even batter us at times, ultimately, if we know Jesus, they will never be able to shake us if we understand that the worst storm we could ever face has been overcome by Jesus for us. Are you facing some kind of storm in your life right now? If so, in whom or in what are you seeking refuge? Jesus Christ says to you this morning, take heart, it is I. It is I am, don't be afraid. Beloved, let's go to him then and ask that he would give us the grace to see and to take hold of this precious promise that we have so that we might experience the incredible calm that only he can provide in the midst of the storm.